the biggest advice I give to all the women I, I, I mentor is please, please, like you've lost it. When you hit that point, you're never going to win. The VC level, it's already almost too late. The problem is, I think that is the mentality that you have to go into when you're building a business. You have to. Awesome. I'm sure after this 45 minutes, you, everyone will be so pumped up and on fire. Um, so quickly, my name is Asad Glenova. I'm a co-founder and CEO at uh, Paperstack, a fractional CFO for e-commerce sellers. But again, today is not about me. Today is about two wonderful women. Mayel, welcome. So Mayel Gave is the CEO of Techstars. She has been named one of the Fortune's 40 under 40, a young global leader by the World Economic Forum, one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company and was on the Time Magazine's list on the 25 top female techpreneurs. As an entrepreneur at heart, Mayel founded her first business at the age of 16 and went on to start two other companies. She has been a senior executive at numerous large companies around the world, including Ozone, Priceline Group, and Compass. She was also a principal at the Boston Consulting Group for six years. Welcome, Mayel. Super excited to have you join. Very excited. And Thank you. Thank you. And we have Second speaker, who is very impressive, Carolyn, welcome. And Carolyn Rhodes is an investment banker turned three-time award-winning Latin entrepreneur from Bolivia and serves as a founder and CEO of Hello Alice. During her time at Hello Alice, Carolyn was recognized as 17 Women to Watch by Inc. Magazine in 2020 and was named Hispanic CEO of the Year by Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and has testified to U.S. Congressional House Small Business Committee and was featured in the Senate report tackling the gender gap, what women entrepreneurs need to thrive. She was selected by Mayor Turner of Houston to co-chair the Women and Minority Small Business Task Force in 2019. Carolyn, super thrilled to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for Thanks your time. for having me. Yes, likewise. So I'm going to dive right, right into because we only have 45 minutes. So Mayel, I'll start with you. Prior to Techstars, you were a CEO of Ozone, which is like la Russia's largest e-commerce platform like Amazon, but in Russia. And you've done really interesting things. I've watched your interviews and done some research. And one of the things you've done is as a CEO, double down on the call center, right? And to help people who maybe didn't feel comfortable um, ordering online, just letting them call and ask any questions and concerns. Looking back now, what are your thoughts on that? And what advice will you give to entrepreneurs who are trying to reach to underserved area? So I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. That was not one of them. <laughs> and this really, really helped, uh, among other stuff that we did at Ozone, uh, to, to basically build the largest e-commerce company in Russia. And it was very counterintuitive because at the time, everybody... Uh, really deeply believe in the in the mantra of everything should be automated and the, your goal should be on the contrary to move away from having a call center. Uh, and the only company that seemed to be aligned with what we were trying to do was Zappos in the US. And, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how they made their model work with this very big call center that was at the core of their culture. And, and to a large extent, we replicated some of the things that they were doing at the time. Uh, in a nutshell, I would just say that to me, that was that was one of the first-hand uh, experience uh, that I had of the power of human connections 
and how much when you put uh, you put the human touch at the center of what you're doing, how much your customer uh, reward you reward you for that. Worked out really well. I'm so happy. It was just like non-standard movement. That was I was really impressed. <laughs> Thank you, um, Carolyn. Uh, Mike, to you. Um, I've I've watched tons of your interviews, and one of them was with Startup Grind you gave in 2018, and you shared your fundraising experience, how you were pitching in Silicon Valley, and at some point at the first you, you felt intimidated, and some of the investors were even like cutting off and not behaving very well, but then you shared that you something switched, and then you turned the table, and it was you interviewing them. Like I, I'm just super curious, how did it happen? Like most importantly, mentally first to like to actual conversations. Um, would love to learn about it. Yeah, I, I have one of those personalities that the more you tell me I can't do something, the more I dig my feet in and I'm like, I will do this and I can't wait to come back and prove you wrong. Um, so the no's actually fire me up. And I think I see it with a lot of entrepreneurs now. I think I see you nodding. <laughs> I think it's very common among entrepreneurs. It's part of the reason that, that we do what we do. Uh, and it was interesting. So going through the fundraising process the first time, this is the first company I've ever raised capital for. And early on we went, I mean, I laughed looking back because I realized how completely unprepared we were for the experience. I mean, we had our pitch books and we'd gone through the process, but the way that we were engaging with investors, I, you know, fast forward now, four years later, and it's like, we just communicate so differently with the investors that we work with. Um, in the first round, we talked to hundreds of investors who told us no and told us no and told us no. Our last round, we were oversubscribed for and we were telling investors, no, sorry, you can't come in. And so it really does shift. I think a lot of it is having an understanding of how to communicate with them. Um, and so much of it is the, the confidence that you come to the meeting with. And so when we finally, I and mean, Elizabeth and I remember sat and we, we had gotten, we were told no again in a very rude way from this very arrogant investor. And we we're like, you know what? We're like, let's let's redo this we're gonna act like the guys act and we before our meeting it was so ridiculous we sat there and we're like all right channel like every bit of your inner bro like we're gonna find everything inside of us and we just pumped ourselves up and we're like we're gonna talk big we're gonna own this story we're not gonna talk about any other thing you know we're not gonna really talk the, the reality we're gonna sell and let's just go into sales mode and once we went into like just controlling the conversation controlling the narrative talking about why we are so excited about the business that we're building. It's like everything shifted for us. And, and it, it really came from a place of, okay, we've tried everything else and it's not working. Let's try this and see how it works. And it was like the world opened up to us all of a sudden. And I think for the early stage fundraising, particularly, it is building confidence. Like they are investing in you as a founder. They're not investing in the business because there is no business. They're investing in the idea. Yes, but a lot of people have big ideas and a lot of people are sharing big ideas. They're really ultimately saying, are you the right person to execute a good idea? The idea is going to change a million times over. The founder is not going to change. So at the end of the day, it is mostly how confident are you and how confident are, are they in you as a founder? Wow. Thank you so much. As, um, as somebody who is going through like fundraising right now, this session, uh, like the the period, it's, it's very helpful. And you you mentioned something like you also interviewed and asked questions like what type of questions do you usually ask an investor usually it's like uh on opposite side i don't know if, you, if any of you have been when you've hired employees i think is a great example right of there's there's people that come in there's candidates that come in and they're sort of waiting for the question and answering the question waiting for the question and answering the question and then there's candidates that come in and they're like i'm looking for a specific type of opportunity 
this is what I'd like to do. Here's what I here's what I'm really good at. Here's what I can contribute. They own the conversation. And those are the ones that tend to get you excited, right? Because you're like, this person, they have options, they know what they want, they're confident in themselves. That's that's really how we framed our investor conversations and continue to, is we know our area of expertise. We know that we know small business owners better than most people. We have a ton of data on them. We engage with hundreds of thousands of them daily. We know our audience. And so when we come into investors and we're like, look, we know what they need. We know how to build it. We know we're capable in terms of our, our you know, capabilities of, of building out a tech stack and, and owning the product. We know all of that. Now, what we don't know is there's a lot of unknowns in the market, right? We don't know what the market's going to do. We don't know how the environment's going to respond, but we know that we can iterate and we can build and we can continue to learn and leverage our knowledge. And so once we started sort of going into the conversation with Adam, we were asking the questions to them, but how are you going to support us in this? When we hit an unknown, how are you going to respond to this situation? When we feel like we're really confident and we're getting a lot of traction, are you going to double down on your investment or not? Like, are you going to connect us and introduce us to people? That's really when it framed the conversation that we were shopping around for investors instead of them shopping around for, for investments. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more to what you've just said. To, to piggyback on what you were saying about interview process, to me, and obviously the, the expectation is a little different if I interview a junior person versus a senior person. Um, and there are some cultural differences. Techstars has 300 employees and we operate in like 20 different countries. And then so it's 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 just, this has to be taken into account. But to me, I go into the meeting thinking, I want to learn something. Even though I'm interviewing that person, the best candidates are the one with whom I can have a real exchange and real dialogue because I have a ton of questions on my head in my head about how to run the business and how to grow it and how to help even more founders around the world. Um, and if I leave the meeting, the interview, with, huh, that was a good conversation. It helped me think through a bunch of new stuff, the way they ask me questions, the way even they engage into the conversation. It's it's already such a huge plus and, and, and usually one of the most important decision factor to hire or not the person versus what you've described, which is the candidate who comes and they just answer your question after one and uh, after one after the other. And, and that's just, it's not the same thing. So could not agree more with what you've just said. Yeah, Mel, that's a great point. Someone once told me, they're like, you should, in every round of an interview, the way to find a good candidate is that every round you should gather more, you should learn something more. And the deeper in the conversation you get, the more you're learning. And if you're not, it's not the right candidate. Exactly. Wow, learning from ev um, every conversation and in interview, that's, that's really, that's very valuable. Thank you, that's interesting. Question um, for both of you, right? That's right now less than a, less than, speaking about investments, like the statistics are still showing um, um, not really good picture, right? Like less than 3% of uh, VC funds go to, go to women. What do you think needs to change for it to happen? Like what else do we need to do as, a, as an ecosystem? Mayel, if you want to start it, then I'll, yeah. let you, I'll let you start. <laughs> I'm going to shamelessly talk about Techstars because the reason why I joined Techstars is because I believe that this is part of the solution. Um, I think it starts with providing to underrepresented or underdiscovered founders around the world, providing them with access to capital, mentorship, and community. And I think at the VC level, it's already almost too late. The problem is for a lot of founders and women are one of the categories, but it's not just women. They, they're not VC backable right away because they do not have 
access to the, the bare minimum of capital that is required to get an MVP ready, to get one or two people coming, to do a little bit of test. They don't have access to mentors who are going to help them uh, think through their ideas and iterate with them and be their sounding board. Uh, they don't have the community around them to even recruit their first co-founder. Um, and so a lot of what needs to change, I think, has for sure to do with how the VC industry operates. But frankly, we've been having this conversation for as long as I've been working, so 20 years. I think the VC industry has a lot more to do, but I think the solution is not so much there than it is before. Uh, and again, I'm gonna shamelessly uh, praise Techstars because for me, when, I, when Techstars approached me to join, to join them, what got me really, really excited and willing to pull the long hours required uh, to run this business was because I thought that for real, we would have the opportunity to help in particular women, but not only to have access to capital mentorship community and get them ready to then go and pitch VCs and get funding and get to the proverbial big table. Thank you. Yeah, I agree completely uh, with everything you just said. And I think one of the the struggles, I mean, I think back again, I mentioned this is my the first company I've ever raised venture capital with. When we started the company, attracting talent, I think is a huge piece. It's really hard to get the traction that you need without an experienced team. And I think there is, that totally boils down to network. You know, I've been in the world of investment banking. I had a strong corporate network. I did not have a strong entrepreneurial network. I didn't know anybody who had started a company. I had no friends that had raised capital before. So it really was a, a totally, you know, blank canvas for me. I had no idea what I was doing. And so, and it was people, I look back to like, who really helped us get to where we needed to get to. It was a contact, an old contact of Elizabeth's who worked for a VC fund that really took us under his wing. He ended up leading our, our seed round, is still on our board. One of our greatest investors off that from, from Signia Ventures, um, really took us under his wing and explained the process and broke the process down for us. So I think that type of mentorship that is very, very transparent, really as a friend, I mean, he told us no in our seed round, frankly, three times before he actually ended up leaving it. Um, <laughs> the other piece is the the, the talent component. So uh, being able to tap into really strong talent, again, for us, some of our best employees now were people that told us no because we weren't big enough, we didn't have enough traction versus experienced founders that have been through it, people are willing to take the bet on them. And so I think there is a component of, you know, as employees out there and as talent, who are you willing to take a bet on and really taking the time to get to know female founders and get to know underrepresented founders to understand if they're worth taking the bet on, even if they don't necessarily have the pedigree that many of our male counterparts do. And then the third part is understanding the process. Uh, again, I think about people that took us under their wing, our lawyer uh, over at, at Pillsbury, uh, we have an incredible attorney and he was incredibly senior, he's a senior partner, but took the time to sit with us and walk through the basics of a term sheet, help us understand what was fair, help us understand how to negotiate with investors uh, and broke it down again into just really simple ways. And so for me, I think it's, it's small actions that actually have huge payoff because it can be incredibly intimidating when you're sitting there where you're laying out terms when you're thinking about structures and you know how you need to push forward with something for if you've never been exposed to it it's just it's like learning a new language right as soon as you understand it you're like it's not rocket science it's not that complicated but when you have no idea it feels incredibly overwhelming 
it's it's definitely overwhelming sometimes and i personally found a lot of help from communities and the founders were like two three, two to three steps ahead of me they'll come in and join and just share some of them will even show like how they structured data room and everything so that that was, that that, was that's why i think organizations like techstars are so important is that how are you actually how do you build a community of people that have been through it that are invested in your success that are willing to pay it forward um, and for us at hello owls we're focused on even far before that for people that have an idea that are even trying to discover the tech stars of the world how do they get connected into those communities and start to understand what's available to them um, but bridging through that sort of i would say small business to startup space uh, and then and that's where most of the reality is when we start to look at diverse founders most of them are very traditional small businesses and so how do we help you know, the fitness studio that wants to become Equinox, how do we help them even understand what that path looks like and bridge that? And then I think there's an incredible world of organizations like Techstars that are really there on the one-on-one -on -one mentorship components that are bridging into ecosystems and, and really understand how to scale uh, businesses and take them to the next level. Absolutely, 100% agree with you, Carolyn. Mayel, Mark to you, uh, what are the trends you see right now in the startup ecosystem that you are excited to capitalize on? Quite a few, actually. I mean, there's the usual suspect of you know, blockchain and other stuff, but that's probably not what I want to talk about. I, what, I, what I'm the most excited about are a couple of things. One, I'm starting to see uh, undiscovered founders. And what I mean by that is mainly countries or areas of the globe uh, that have not really been explored from a tech perspective, VC perspective. I'm starting to see more and more of them applying to programs like ours. Uh, and so there's a new wave of entrepreneurs coming into the market. Uh, and because they have a very different background, very different, they grew up in a very different environment. Uh, they're coming up with completely new uh, completely new ways of thinking and solving problem, which I find fascinating. And, and, and part of what we're really trying to do is, is to pair them with the mentors that we've been, we've been talking about so that they can benefit from the global reach that we have and the experience that we have. But just the simple fact that there is more, again, more what I call the undiscovered founders coming to the surface, that to me is, is extremely exciting. And then the second thing that I'm very excited about is everything happening around environmental and social changes. Um, there's been for quite some time, you know, conversations around climate change, around uh, women empowerment, around racial diversity. Uh, and there was some kind of peaks here and there throughout the year, but it never felt to me like a, like something that was deeply embedded into the ecosystem. It was more like a few people would like get super excited about something and then, then make a bunch of press release and then they would move on into the next, the next exciting thing um, or the next shiny thing more, more likely. I'm seeing that differently now. I'm seeing entrepreneurs who, I'm seeing the vast majority of entrepreneurs who are coming uh, to Techstars really caring about environmental and social changes, really thinking about the standards that they want to hold themselves and their peers accountable to. And then part of the work that we're doing with them is, is helping, the, uh, helping them make it a reality. 
um, I'm seeing even when they don't work on a problem which is directly related to environmental or social issues, I see how much they care about in one way or another, making sure that their company, uh, that their company has a positive environmental and or social impact. Um, and then I also see uh, a narrative that is starting to change around what is the right way to invest in ESG entrepreneurs. And that's probably way beyond our conversation today, but in a nutshell, it used to be very much like, let's do an ESG focus um, ETF and, and invest in like big companies, big public companies, and that's the way you're gonna do green investment. And now I'm seeing more and more an appetite to tech much earlier stage investment uh, in ESG focused companies. And so when we go with our portfolio company, go and pitch the VCs around companies that are very, very directly focusing on trying to solve some of the biggest challenges uh, that we're facing as a society, I'm seeing a very different uh, response from the VC world because I think there's an understanding that investing in ESG is really good for business you just need to do it right and so these to me are like the most the most exciting things and then blockchain obviously but <laughs> <laughs> i am uh, wow the big big changes are big trends are coming up and i'm super excited to see what's going to happen next i know you mentioned you can't share everything today now but i'm sure the big announcements will come up soon from you from techstars so Speaking of, um, I just want to take a minute. You you mentioned you want to also like attracting like underserved uh, founders that maybe from the countries that haven't applied before. So, if you're watching right now, um, like uh, the event, and you are maybe thinking or not sure whether to apply or not apply, I want to encourage everyone to fill out this application, take a chance, even if you're not sure or you might even not be confident in your English, English is your second or third language, please do apply. I'm just taking a moment to encourage everyone. Yeah, entrepreneurship mm -hmm. is a participation sport. The only way you can go through the finish line is by starting to run. And so apply, apply, <laughs> apply, apply, meet people, talk to people, and, and you will get where you need to, where you need to be through this relationship building. Yes, absolutely. So definitely apply. Carolyn, Mike to you. I want to talk about the COVID time, right? Like uh, COVID hit and killed, unfortunately, a lot of businesses, right? And you probably had a lot of calls, entrepreneurs calling you and, and, and you know, with problems, with actual problems to deal and solve. Like how was Hello Alice was able to, to help and overcome some of the challenges that COVID unfortunately brought to us? Yeah, we had the, the fear of being, you know, a, a startup ourselves and having to navigate this unknown world and not knowing what it was going to do to our own business. Um, we had just invested actually about $100,000 into an activation at South by Southwest, which obviously got canceled. Um, and so there was the immediate, like, what are we going to do? We dealt with that for about five minutes and then said, okay, we are actually in an okay situation to weather the storm. We had raised money not too far before and said, we're going to make it through. We have, you know, at the time, about 200,000 small business owners that we were supporting. And we said, what, what are they going to do? And so we shift. I think it was really just, again, getting super focused on what are the needs of our, our customers, of the people that we serve? How do we make sure that our audience has everything they need and we can have the most value to them at this time? 
that came in the form of grants. We had already started thinking about a grants program that was going to kind of deploy in late 2020. And we said, all right, scratch that. Let's accelerate this and try to get grants out. And we set a goal for ourselves to get, a, get initial grants out in seven days. Uh, we exceeded that goal. We, get, we deployed grants in three days after shelter in place hit. And we were among the first to start deploying grants, uh, which was really incredible for us because it meant that every corporation that realized they needed to do something then had a place to deploy capital. So all of a sudden we were able to deploy over the course of, of 2020, $20 million in grants over 2021, closer to $30 million in grants. We're continuing to grow that grants pool for small business owners. Um, and so that has been just an incredible, I think, for me, the greatest lesson there, and I think something that I, I knew before, but it only reinforced it was if you are serving your customers at all time, your business, your business will survive. It's going to pivot. It's going to change. But if you're adding value to your customers, you're going to find a way to make it through. It's not always going to be pretty. You're not always going to get a paycheck in the process, but your business will survive. And so that, that was the greatest thing. And then we really started focusing now on how do we help these small business owners Again, above all, just add core value and meaningful value and, and a value that people are willing to pay for to your audience. And that means, again, having to bridge it through. I think it's why thinking about a very early stage continuum of capital is so critical. We start that with grants, looking at things like a credit card. How do we make sure that more and more business owners can actually get access to something as basic as a credit card, which many in many parts of the world don't have? Um, and even many parts of the most developed countries can't access. The next piece is how do we look at early stage loans and what does that bridge process look through of how do we create loans that are, you know, where you don't have to have as much sort of personal liability um, you know, at stake. Then starting to look at things like early stage venture capital and a lot of what, what mail and, and tech stars are very focused on. And so I think it's starting to think about how do we bridge that whole process through um, and, and I think times like COVID are a great opportunity to step back. We've seen so many business owners have these incredible pivots in their businesses. They've they've ramped up what you know their their digital readiness. They've ramped up their ability to think about new audiences and new markets. They've expanded you know virtually in ways that they probably never would have done before. And then we've seen a ton of new businesses emerge. I mean, I look at even my kids' school. I was talking to the headmaster at their school, and she's like, "It was so amazing. We've been pushing, you know." technology and technology and technology to teachers for years. And COVID accelerated, she's like, in three months, teachers adopted technology that we've been fighting them for five years to adopt because they had to. And I think we're seeing the same thing in business, that people are forced to do it and it's accelerated uh, you know, the adoption of a lot of these pieces in, in ways that, that never would have happened. We're looking at you know, a much more cashless society than we had before. We're looking at you know, things like our, the, being able to protect our digital assets in ways that we had never really contemplated before. Um, certainly blockchain, I think, is, 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 has only been accelerated through a lot of this. So there's so many pieces that are just are moving quickly and it creates opportunity, um, which is, to me, incredibly exciting. I think there's a lot of silver linings. As hard as COVID was for a lot of businesses, there's a ton of silver linings that, that have and will continue to emerge out of it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing, Carolyn. I, I want to take a minute and encourage everyone to, to check out Hello Alice platform. It has a ton, ton of uh, very helpful resources. And it will even send you a notification of like grants and opportunities for you to take. Uh, to take. So definitely check it out. There is going to be a link in the chat. Regarding the innovation, actually, Carolyn, my mom is a teacher. 
So uh, like COVID made her so techy. Now she's like a guru in all these platforms. And so, and I was like surprised, but before that she, she wasn't really like big fan of that, but now she's, uh, she's on it. So you're absolutely right. <laughs> I am um, question for both of you. What advice that like you would give, or you think worth repeating that worked for you surprisingly well? Um, Mayel, if you want to start, uh, I'll let you start. Advice for? Advice for women that surprisingly well for you or worth repeating, you think? Uh, I mean, I can tell you the advice that I give to pretty much every single mentee that I have had over the years, and I've had quite a few. I tell them repeatedly to dream big. And, and it seems like an obvious thing, or it seems like, okay, yeah, fine, that's a catchy phrase. Uh, I would tell you that over and over and over again, I had women sitting across the table from me who were brilliant and smart and hardworking and, and like incredibly resourceful, um, who for honestly no reason that I could understand would not raise their hand for the next job would not dare to say, I want to be a CEO one day uh, or CTO or whatever, whatever the field is that you, you're, you're focused on. Um, and, and I would compare that to their male counterparts who would come to my office after <laughs> you know, six months on the job and ask me why they're not part of the leadership team. And I'd be like, oh, because you're not ready. <laughs> you need a little more time. And so over and over again, what I've done a lot with the, with the woman that I, that I mentored is spend a lot of time forcing them to dream big and say, look, if everything was possible, if there was no limit, if, if, if you forget everything about your past, like what's the big dream? Like what's the thing that you want to achieve? And then let's work back from that to figure out what it is that you can do to get there. Uh, and sometimes it does require a few bottles of wine just to get them uh, <laughs> more, more relaxed and more uh, creative on that. And then just for them to stop being so constrained uh, in their thinking. But for me, the biggest advice I give to all the women I, I, I mentor is please, please dream big and, and, and talk about it. Don't be afraid of saying out loud this to talk about this what you consider to be an, uh, an outrageous dream because it's not outrageous and you you're the more you talk about it going back to community and mentors and connecting with people who can help you they can't help you if you don't know what's your dream and so talk make the dream as big as possible and then go and talk about it a lot thank you dream big love everyone. that <laughs> that's the message caroline over to you yeah, I would say in, in, in line with what Mel is saying, take control. Uh, so many times I, you know, I think people take on this almost kind of victim mentality of, you know, it's, it's harder as a woman, it's tougher as a woman, I have to overcome all these obstacles, I'm doing everything I can. Take control. It is hard and it's hard for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, whoever you are. Entrepreneurship is really, really hard. Take control. And, under, and of the things that you can control, right? You can control how many meetings with investors you have. You can control what you're, what you're focused on and where your team spends their time and energy. You can control how you're deploying cash and you can control you know, the number of people that you're incorporating into your network. There's so many pieces that you can control. So own those pieces, own your narrative and own your expertise, right? And the more that you start to, to really like 
push those things forward. And again, I think it, it starts with dreaming really big and having a, a really clear vision of where you want to go and then starting to consistently chip away at the pieces that you can control along that path. Uh, and I, I think the more when I see people that are, are very successful in any, whether it's in the corporate world or whether it's in the startup world, in any aspect of life, it is they are they are working so hard and in such a focused way and are constantly keeping their eye on the prize and they don't stop until they get what they need. Uh, it's, it, I hear, you know, I, get, I mentioned that we give away a ton of grants. We also get a ton of, you know, there are a lot of people that don't get grants. They apply. And they're like, ah, this is a scam. You're not giving away grants. I didn't get one. I've applied for five and I haven't gotten one. The reality is, I mean, we applied for hundreds of grants before we got a grant for our business. We kept doing it because we're like, we can control every time we're going to get better. Every time we're going to get a little smarter, we're going to study who's getting them. We're going to study who's not. And you keep chipping away at it. We talked to 200 investors before we got a yes. But the, the one thing we could control was how many investors are we reaching out to? And how are we work refining the pitch that we're sending them? And how are we studying who's getting funded? How are we networking with people that are getting money? The more you start to work towards those pieces, eventually the door is going to open uh, and you're going to learn at every step you're learning along the way. Um, so prepare yourself for the rejection. Don't let the rejection kind of turn into that again. Like the, the victim mentality, I think, is like you've lost it. When you hit that point, you're never going to win. Uh, and so so control the control your narrative, control your headspace. And, and I love I love the, the, the big dreams. Yeah. Well, I love that I too. I think resilience is so important and it's hard. I mean, as you said, it, being an entrepreneur is like really, really hard. I did it three times. I'm not doing it a fourth time. Like that's it. I'm done. Now I'm helping entrepreneurs be successful. Uh, if I can, I, I would add one more thing uh, is uh, develop a very thick skin that I think you've probably heard, heard it from many, many people. Develop also a great sense of humor. Because the the way you, you still need to remember that being an entrepreneur is meant to be fun, and and it's and there's going to be all this unpleasant conversation, frankly. And if you're a woman, to be perfectly direct, you're probably going to have a lot more unpleasant conversation than your male counterparts. The the best way uh, to handle them, in my experience, is with a strong sense of humor. Uh, and so I would recommend uh, that you work on that as much as possible. It will make your life so much more pleasant. Oh, I love that. Yes. I mean, I it, it, it is. If, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry a whole lot more. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is this is going amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. But we only have like less than 10 minutes left. And I just don't know how time just flies so fast. And I want to take some questions from the audience. And one of the questions we have is like, what for both of you, what can we do to minimize bias when it comes to fundraising, pitching and due diligence? Minimize I would say, I mean, I think, don't even think about it. Don't go into a, a meeting thinking about being a woman, thinking about how they're going to perceive you differently go in and I, I think it goes back to a lot of what we've said already, but just own own your narrative and own your expertise. And there are gonna be people that are gonna think about you differently. They're gonna notice that you're a woman, but the more that you go in with confidence and, and controlling your narrative, I think the less of that bias you're gonna see. Um, a lot of it is that we do communicate differently. Like we are inherently very different than men and that can be a huge strength I think one of the things I always think about fundraising is, is empathy. Women are women are incredibly empathetic creatures. And I'm speaking in generalities. There's exceptions, obviously, on both sides, on all sides. Um, 
but I think we're always always thinking about what is the other, how is the other person viewing this, and where is their headspace, and and when we are always putting ourselves in the shoes of others, we don't actually get to focus on what is in our own head and what we need to communicate. So I think sometimes it's just going in there, being very clear about what message you need to get out, why this is a great opportunity for an investor, and when you get comfort in that the conversation starts to flow very easily and realizing that at the end of the day, you're building a relationship with an investor and you're building up their confidence and their excitement about what you have to offer. Yeah, I could not have said it better. Uh, so the only thing I would add on top of that is you may benefit depending on your personality and your experience, but you may benefit from practicing with someone who's going to push you out of your comfort zone. Going back to the comment I made about dreaming big, uh, what I have observed, and again, there are always exceptions, but what I have observed is that women tend to be a little more conservative. Uh, they need to, they, they, they tend to be a little more careful about how they talk about the market and how big the market is and, and about their own experience. And, and, and so having, if you, if you have that in your, in your network, and if you don't, I strongly encourage you to find that, that mentor, that person, having someone who is going to be uh, your biggest fan and advocate, and it's going to, every time you're going to like put yourself down, it's going to be like, no, 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 no. That's not the way you pitch yourself. That's not the way you pitch your market and really help you dream big, not just in your head, but when you, when you pitch investors who would be useful for a lot of women. Yeah. I saw a, a great question in here from, uh, mm -hmm. Cindy about the preventative questions that VCs ask women. And that's a great article for those of you that haven't read it, highly recommend it. Reframe the conversation. When you feel like it's getting off track, reframe it in a way that is more beneficial to you. So if somebody's asking you, you know, what are you gonna do if this fails or if this goes this way, or how are you managing this risk? Reframe it in a positive and take, again, own, own the conversation and position it in a way that is beneficial to you and start pushing through. When you have something that you need to say, bring it back to where you need to bring the conversation. Don't let them drive it to a place that is not going to be helpful to you. Thank you. Thank you, Carol, and thank you for reminding it. Another question that I have is um, from the audience. How do you control the narrative? Speaking about controlling, Carolyn, how did you act as a man? I don't think it's acting like a man. I think it, it, is, it is coming, it's, it's being true to yourself, right? At the end of the day, it's having confidence in who you are and not doubting yourself. I think so many times, again, I, we're just naturally, I think as women, you look at the way that we treat kind of young girls versus young boys, I think it's changing over time, but we're, we're just taught to like, we're serving others, we're mothers, we're teachers, we're, you know, we're, we're guiding others and constantly nurturing others. Sometimes you have to just show up and serve yourself. And I think that is the mentality that you have to go into when you're building a business, you have to serve the business. Like you are doing what is in the best interest of the company, you have to be super confident in what you're doing and what your instincts are and what you know is best for that business. Have come with that confidence and don't be thinking always about, you know, what are my employees think going to think and how do I make sure they're happy and what does the investor need? And we can't come with that mindset or I think we're constantly going to be, we're not putting the business first and we're not really doing what's best for the company. So when you start thinking about, you know, at the end of the day, it is keeping your customers happy and making sure they see value in your business. It's making sure the business is in a strong place. And it's making sure that you as a founder are in a really good mindset to lead that business and to lead that team forward. And the rest of it all falls into place when, when those things are happening. Wow, thank you. You, you can't be why you're not. I mean, I, I don't know what it means like 
you mm-hmm. man, it's like you're not. I mean, so like, like you can try to fake it, uh, and and some of you may be amazing, amazing uh, actors, but the vast majority of us, myself included, like I don't know how to be a man because I'm not one. What you can do, nevertheless, is maybe go one step deeper and understand what do you mean exactly when you say uh, you need to be a, you need to act like a man, because if it, if acting like a man is Sorry, I'm going to repeat myself, but dreaming big. Oh yeah, you absolutely need to dream big. If acting like a man is is a project confidence, yeah, you absolutely need to project confidence. If so, there's I would I would just encourage whoever asked that question to just go one step deeper and and really think through what what do I mean when I say do I need to behave like a man? And then separate what are the things that actually fundamentally are gender neutral. Like it's not about being a man or being a woman. These are qualities that are expected from investors because that is what's going to give them the the confidence that they're putting their money into someone who has a chance of succeeding versus the one which are just uh, potentially more gender specific or or more associated to things that have nothing to do with business um, and who may not be you anyway. So do not fake who you are because ultimately anyway, they will see through that. Be proud of who you are. And there are, look, there are investors out there that are looking for a cookie cutter founder. And most likely as a woman, you're probably not that cookie cutter founder for those investors. So learn to recognize them and check the box and move on as quickly as you can. Don't waste your time trying to convince them because you never will. There are also a ton of investors out there that are looking for good investments and they don't care where it comes from. And when you exactly. identify those, I mean, one of our best investors is uh, Frank Rotman at QED Capital, one of the leading fintech funds in the world. Could care less that we are we are one of the few female-led companies in their portfolio, their majority male portfolio companies. They don't treat us any differently. They don't think about us any differently. They don't. They didn't invest in us because we were women. They didn't realize that they needed to diversify their portfolio. They're looking for good companies, and we happen to fit that profile. And so I think when you find those investors, it's very clear. It doesn't matter. They're not trying to check a diversity box. They're not trying to make a statement. They don't. They're not. You know, they are confident in who they are and what they know, and they're confident in what they're looking for, and vice versa. Just control the narrative, and you'll find that investor that believes in you, no matter who you are. So they're there. They're that, out there, that, and more and more so. This is the very powerful message. We're almost at the end. I know it's only one minute left. I just want to say thank you. This was amazing. This was so powerful. I'm sure like um, like we have over 100 people watching it and I'm sure all of us just got inspired so much. Now just going, uh, changing that pitch deck and just painting a bigger picture. Now that's what I'm going to be doing. So awesome. I want to encourage everyone. Like, first of all, thank you everyone for joining. Thank you, Mayel and Caroline for joining and sharing this incredible advice. Please check out, please follow Techstars, hello Alice, and f- also follow Carolyn and Mariel on social media. I know you have Twitter, LinkedIn, so we're gonna drop the link and also share that. But this was incredible, and thank you again. Thank you so so much. Yeah, I learned a ton too. Thank you, Mel. Great advice. So I'll uh, <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> thank you so much, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, thank everybody. You.